Good morning, church. So excited to be here this morning. I am. Uh, my name is Lee Bailey. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I've been here almost uh, a little over, right at 14 years, and uh, it is always an honor uh, to stand here in the pulpit uh, where uh, Pastor Scott might ask me to uh, to come and preach anytime he anytime he's not here. Um, we will be continuing his sermon series. He started a sermon series a few weeks ago called Preach and Heal, in which, he, in which Pastor Scott uh, began, and, and in today's sermon we will continue the idea of Jesus' healing ministry and how it connects with his preaching ministry. And so how they basically were synonymous with each other, they were so interconnected that you couldn't separate one without the other. So we'll be... We'll be dealing with that today in one of the other passages. In fact, if you want to begin finding where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Uh, while you're uh, maybe finding that in your Bible, I do want to uh, tell Pastor Scott, thank you for something else. Um, since he started this sermon series, last week he preached on uh, Jesus um, healing people that are demon-possessed. And so I just want to say thanks to Pastor Scott for not assigning me that text. Um, I just want to thank him for that. And so we, today we will, be, uh, we will be dealing with someone who has leprosy. So uh, let's take a few minutes as we, uh, as we do each week, and let's honor the reading of God's Word, and we do that by standing when we read it. So uh, stand with me as we read Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Speaking of Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as is Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he, speaking again of Jesus, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word this morning, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to kind of go up on a second story and kind of look over uh, in this little courthouse square where this event takes place. In, uh, in, in these cities uh, back then in Bible times, you know, they weren't big cities. They, you know, they weren't uh, gigantic, you know, metropolises. They just, you know, there was a lot of things going on there in the city center. And then there were certain people who were, uh, who were supposed to stay in their areas. Um, you, you read about Jesus uh, meeting the woman at the well at, at noon. You know, they weren't supposed to, ladies weren't, were only supposed to come out and do things at certain times of the day. Um, the folks that dealt with um, unclean animals, uh, the folks that dealt with leather and things like that, they, they were supposed to be kind of on the outskirts of town where they weren't going to... Uh, deal with anybody or, or help anybody become unclean by dealing with, with that. And then, of course, you had the lepers, people that had leprosy. 
um, they were um, they were outcast among the outcasts. They were the most outcast of any group there in in Bible times. There's a lot of reasons for that, and we're gonna we're gonna go into that now. The first um, the first reason um, that we as we read scripture, verse 12, we'll see that this man who comes to Jesus was condemned. He was condemned. Now, what do we mean by that? When you are full of leprosy, according to the word of God, verse 12 says, he was full of leprosy. When you are full of leprosy, this is a condition that is unreversible, untreatable, and uncurable. Now, in 2023, it's not, but 2,000 years ago, it was. Not only that, it did things to you that were unthinkable. Many people think leprosy is a skin condition, and it, it is that, but it attacks your nervous system. It doesn't attack your spine or your brain, so it doesn't actually kill you. It just, it just takes the limbs of your body your fingers, your toes, your arms, your elbows, your knees, your legs, your ears, your nose, the, out, the outsides of your body, and it kills those nerves where you can't feel anymore. You just have this general body numbness. On top of that, you have all these boils and all these sores on your body. So what happens when you lose feeling and you're off in a leper colony, you're off by yourself, it gets cold and you start a fire and you try to warm yourself by the fire and maybe you fall asleep and and that fire might burn your elbow or burn your leg and you wouldn't even know it. You might be walking down the road and step on a nail and it go right through your foot and it get infected and it bleed and you wouldn't even feel it. And so what what you know, what we know about people that were, according to this verse 12, full of leprosy, is they were deformed, they were unrecognizable. They were, had sores all over the body. They had probably some kind of disformity in their limbs and legs. Most likely, there's been some rocks with their fingers. Many, many people with leprosy lose sometimes all five of their fingers and toes. It is, it is horrifying. It's horrifying. So when you are um, diagnosed with leprosy, you are condemned. You are condemned to live that life until you die. There is literally zero hope for you. Leprosy has, even back then, 2,000, 3,000, even farther, leprosy was known to be contagious. So not only was this man condemned, he was also contagious. Unlike people that were blind or people that had a withered hand or we, we read about the lady who touched Jesus' garment that said she had a bleeding disorder. Unlike all those people, those conditions weren't known to be contagious. And so someone who was blind could still live in their house and their family could take care of them. If you had leprosy, as soon as you were diagnosed, you were taken to a leper colony never to touch another human being the rest of your life. 
you, it was against the law for you to touch anyone ever. It's also against the law for anyone to touch you. So someone who was clean and healthy could not minister to you. If your family loved you, I mean, you, you couldn't kiss your wife and hug your wife anymore. You couldn't put your kids to bed. You were put out in a leper colony away from town. If your family loved you, they would bring you food, set it outside um, of, of the leper colony, and then have to walk away before you could come out and even get your food. It was, th the fact that it was contagious made it even worse than just being condemned. No, no one could touch you. You couldn't touch anyone. It was, hor it was horrific. It was a lonely, desolate, hopeless condition. But we find that this man had some courage. It was against the law for him to be in town. Now, if we're looking, if we're on a second-story window and we're, and, we're, and we're looking down, we can see, if we're, if, we're, if we're imagining, we can see Jesus is maybe walking down the street with two or three or a handful of his disciples. There's some other business going on, and there's, and, and there's uh, you know, all these people uh, doing their trades and craft. And then in the middle of town, this man comes in and he falls before Jesus' feet on his face. He's full of leprosy. He's not supposed to be there. Now, one, he's courageous because, let's be honest, he's, he, he could infect other people. Leprosy, even now, leprosy is, it's not completely known how long the incubation period is. So, if, you're, if you contact someone with leprosy, especially back in those days, they don't know. You, you may not show signs of it for a month or six months or three years. So as soon as there's a sign, you're gone. You are put away. They can't risk um, you, you affecting anyone else. So for him to come in the middle of town and to fall at Jesus' feet, he had to have some courage. He also had to have some courage because he was breaking the law. And what happens when you break the law back in those days and you're a leper? Well, what happens is the city officials, they can't touch you. They can't grab you and take you back to where you're supposed to be. They have to take long poles and whips and move you like an animal. They can't come in contact with you. They didn't have hazmat suits back then. And so they had to, they had to take other measures. So not only were you, was it against the law, not only could you possibly infect someone, but you were going to be humiliated. Not only would you be treated like an animal, you'd be treated like a worthless animal. So the humiliation is, is, is awful. The courage is, he had to have a lot of courage. He had to be willing to say, it just doesn't matter to me what happens to me. I've got to be at Jesus' feet. I've got to, I've got, I've got to be, I've got to, I've, the only hope I have in life 
of this terrible existence I have. The only hope I have is Jesus. And so he runs to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knew he could. He knew he could. Now, Jesus looks at him and what happens next? It says Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, first question. Based on what we've already heard Pastor Scott preach through, did Jesus need to touch him, to heal him? Jesus has the power to heal by a spoken word or the wave of a hand. There was no need for him to touch him. Now, the way... The way this can, can, can read, if you're just reading it normal, let me get this chair as a demonstration. It's as if the word stretched and touched bring you to this point that this man is on his face before Jesus. Jesus is stopped on his way. This man says to him, Lord, if you will, you can make me whole. You can cleanse me. And it says he stretched out his hand. And touched him. Now, now, I don't know what your mental image is, but it's like there. It could be you could be like Jesus is like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just do the least I can. I'm gonna just barely reach out. Okay, you're healed. You, he, you could, you could imagine that based on what this says. He stretched out his hand and touched him. But what's beautiful about this is I looked up what the word touched means in Luke chapter 5 in the Greek. And that word touched translated means to attach yourself to someone. So instead of barely touching him, the mental image here is this. Jesus got down and gave that man the first hug he's had in 20 years. <clears throat> and he whispered in his ear, you're clean. And the leprosy left him. Amen? Man, Jesus had compassion on him. Now, th th there is something special about that imagery, about it, where it says, the Bible says, he attached himself to him. There is something special about that. And to me, it's what is the sermon. You know, this sermon series is preach and heal. What was the sermon here? Jesus is only healing in this case. Is, what is the sermon? Well, just a few verses before that, Jesus has recruited his disciples. And he has told his disciples, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And so I believe that Jesus is saying to his disciples in a sermon, you have to love the unlovable. You have to touch the untouchable to really impact people's lives. You have to get dirty. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to get on your knees. You have to let them know you're not afraid. <laughs> In fact, I was, in the first service, I was talking about 
um, this flinch reaction that people have. Have you ever watched a, uh, a documentary or, or some TV show where people are out there uh, getting wild animals, they're catching wild animals? It is astonishing to me their lack of flex, uh, uh, flinch, their lack of flinch reflex. It's, it's, it's astonishing to me when someone is trying to catch, you know, it, uh, um, this, this guy, uh, one time there was this guy I was watching on TV, he was making a commercial and he had a python or a boa constrictor wrapped around him and he was talking to the camera and that snake bit him in the cheek and he didn't move. He just, it bit him and he just kept talking to the camera and he said, well, lucky for me, this is, snake's not poisonous, so I'm in no danger at all. I was like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you, you know, these people that, that are, uh, there's a lot of exterminators that find, that are, have TV shows and they'll go get possums and skunks out of people's, you know, basements or attics. And I'm like, they grab a hold of them and wrestle with them and they don't flinch or move or anything. I'm, how do you do that? In these times, a leper, people were so afraid. They were so afraid of lepers. They didn't want that condition. There was this flinch of fear. They just were like, man, I'm, I'm afraid to be around you. Imagine how that made those people feel. They didn't, they didn't do anything wrong they just contracted the disease and yet people flinched there's also this idea of flinching and I, I debated on whether or not I would share this uh, part of the sermon but I'm going to um, there is this idea of flinching because something is gross you've been around a two-year-old that's got a snotty nose and at the same time they're eating Cheetos and sometime right before they want to hug you and kiss you, they kind of rub their hand across their mouth and they mix that Cheeto dust with that snot and then they want to give you a big kiss. I flinch with that, even if it's my own kids. I'm like, I don't, I, you need, somebody needs to come with a holster full of wet wipes and get that kid cleaned up before I want to hug him and kiss him. People with leprosy had that flinch too. Someone who was full of leprosy, people didn't want to look at them, grossed out by them. And so this guy puts himself before Jesus and everyone around him. I'm just, if, if you look down from the second story, you see all these people that are afraid. The city, the city um, leaders are probably getting ready to kind of push him away. And everybody else, probably including the disciples, we're afraid and we're grossed out and I don't know what to do but Jesus attached himself to him man that was the sermon he preached to them now what does that mean for us in today's society what does that mean for us what does this passage of scripture teach us so as I considered I prayed about it today I believe that there's two broad categories of people there's people that generally are trying 
to live for Jesus. They're just, they're, I mean, we fail, but they're generally trying to do that on a daily basis. And then I believe there's another category of people that maybe, they've, maybe they were saved and they're just not living for Jesus, have no interest in the things of God, and, and, and they're, they're sinning and they're not repenting, or they're not saved at all. And so these two general categories of people that are just not living or interested in the things of Jesus and another category of people that are. And by looking at these four points that we learn from, from Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, we can learn a lesson here. We can learn a lesson first is that the folks in this category that understand and learn and live for Jesus, we know that people are not sentenced to die a lonely life without Jesus. We know that. But the people in this category feel condemned. They feel like they have no hope. And so we can help them because we know the answer. We're able to share with them the good news of Jesus. Now, there's also people in this category that may be saved, but man, their life, their financial life, their married life, their work life, their physical life is in ruin. And they literally feel like there's no way out. They literally feel like there is no way to fix it. They feel condemned. They feel like they are going down a road that they can't get off of. The people that live a life and they understand even in, even in a small way, how God's word and how God's message works, we can help them. We can speak truth into their life. We can t show them what God's word says, and we can direct them in a way. We can show them they are not condemned. At the same time, the people that live for Jesus, and there's a lot of you in this room that fall in this category, you are incredibly contagious. Man, the, there are, I can name names, but I don't want to leave somebody out. But there are people that are incredibly contagious with the Spirit of God. And I love to be around them. You may have heard me mention a few weeks ago when I was talking about Jesse Haywood that we teach our kids that some people fall into categories of red, yellow, and green. Um, and so with red people, you need to kind of be, you know, very, very cautious. Maybe not spend time with them. Yellow people, you, need, you know, you need to, you know, show some discretion. Green people are people you want to be around all the time. In this world, this world needs contagious Christians. This world needs smiling Christians who can let people know that that today's going to be okay. Because these people have this message from Satan who is whispering in their ear. Satan is the great deceiver. He is a liar. And what he tells people who are on the wrong road, he tells them, you're worthless. He tells them, you have no value. 
He tells them, you should isolate yourself. You should stop going to church because you're not one of those people. He tells them, don't get involved in a life group. He tells them, don't worship. You can't do that. How can you worship God? Your wife's a mess. And they feel contagious. They feel like they can't be a part of our group. They can't be a part of the believers because they don't have everything right. And they're hearing the lie. So we need contagious Christians to help people that are on the wrong road not feel contagious. When it comes to being courageous, in 2018, uh, we had a vacancy here at the church in our, in our student pastor area. And I went down to the student area and I served for about a year helping the students kind of uh, go through a transition period. And I remember meeting with all the students, kind of different groups of students, the seniors and the juniors, and, and then I met with the parents, and then I met with the leaders. And I, and I had noticed when I went down there that, that, that they just had their own little groups of people, and they weren't really connecting with people, and they weren't really, um, you know, it's what we call cliques. A lot of times there were a lot of cliques. And so I remember asking each one of them, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? How do you want to fix this? And every group I talked to, the students, the teachers, the leaders, the parents, they all said the same thing. They all said, like the students would say, I want to talk to my leaders more. I want to have a closer relationship with my leaders. I want to have a good relationship with my parents. But I don't know how. I don't know how to talk to them. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid they're going to think I'm silly or they're going to think I'm immature or whatever. And then the leaders would say, I really want to talk to the students. That's the whole reason I volunteer. But I'm afraid that they think I'm too old. I'm not cool enough. And then I, the, the parents would say the same thing. So I got them all in the room and I said, this is what I've just, this is what I've just heard from everybody. What this is going to take is someone on either, in either group. It doesn't matter which group. Someone has to have the courage to start a conversation. Someone has to have the courage to start a conversation. Well, that is the truth when it comes to these two general broad groups of people. There are people in this world that are contagious Christians that God has given them the discernment to see that someone is struggling and you're afraid to say something. There are people in this world who are going down a life and man, their life is a mess. And they see someone who they look up to and they want to talk to them, but they're afraid. It just takes somebody to have the courage to start the conversation. And then they can be on the path to compassion. They can be on the path to sharing and connecting and getting on the right path, as Jesus showed us today, how you show compassion is by loving the unlovable, touching the untouchable, getting your hands dirty. One time I was on a mission trip in, to New Orleans, and I was uh, sharing, when you go on mission trips, you get to know people better. 
That's one of the one of the reasons that we would advocate going on mission trips. It's just a great way to get to know people as you're serving together. So on a mission trip with a guy who was a friend of mine, his name was Sean Smith. Sean was about 10 years or so older than me. And he shared this story that when he was younger, he was a day laborer doing flooring for a flooring contractor. He and his wife and his two kids lived in Alabama. His job took him out of state to Florida. And while he was there, he made a mistake. And he, uh, he got drunk, and he was racing somebody there in Florida, and he ran somebody off the road, and he killed them. They died. So he was arrested for manslaughter or vehicular homicide. I don't remember what the charge was, but he was arrested put in prison in Florida. So his entire family's income was gone. They didn't have much to begin with. And so they struggled. They had a hard time making their way down to see him in Florida. Barely making ends meet as it is, making a trip to Florida to visit him on visiting days was very, very difficult for them financially. So it was a very bleak, lonely time for him when he was in prison. And he got right with the Lord while he was in the prison. He began living right for the Lord. He began looking forward to uh, the visits and, and, and looking forward to the day he was going to be released and he had a little job in prison, and he would collect his money, and, you know, just a really small income. But he would collect it and save it until his kids would come and visit. And when they came to visit, he would buy them whatever they wanted out of the vending machine. And they wanted Cheetos. Just like the example I had earlier about gross his example was different. He said, Lee, I wore a gray jumpsuit. And my kids would be all over me, crawling on me. I would hold them. And their little Cheeto dust fingerprints would be all over my jumpsuit. And I would wait until the prison guards required me to wash it. Because... Those fingerprints reminded me of what I had to live for. Reminded me of what I was, why I was doing what I was doing to get through, to be patient. Reminded me of the love that I had. Man, your perspective changes when something like that happens. We have the opportunity. We have the chance as believers to show people compassion. When they are, when their fingers are covered in Cheeto dust. And we need to do that because that's Jesus' example to us. Now, um, every week we talk about next steps. We do that for a reason. Because we know that everybody is on a spectrum of their relationship and their discipleship process. Everybody's on a spectrum. Some people are here for the first time today and they've heard this message and they're like what do I do now I know I'm in this group I need help there are some people that are like I'm in this group but I'm, I need community I want to I want to plug in somewhere that's the reason we offer the opportunity for next steps 
when you when when the service is over and you go out the door, there's uh, one or usually one or two pastors out there, and that and but there's also people all over this church that want to help you. That want to help you get plugged into a life group. Want to help you get on a, go on a mission trip. Want to help you get your fi- help you get your finances straight. Help you with your marriage. Um, that's the whole point of doing this, is that we work together to to eventually be molded and shaped to the full image of Christ. So today, as we get ready um, to uh, uh, to lead worship we're going to have a song we're going to take take a time to reflect i ask you to just pray ask god does he need you to be more courageous does he need you to show more compassion do you feel condemned and contagious he doesn't want you to feel that way so pray with me now and we'll sing a song of response Father, we, we pray today that as, as we look at Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and we see Jesus healing a leper, Lord, we see more than that. We see so much more than that. We see Jesus bringing hope to the hopeless. And Lord, he gives us the ability to do that too. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to be willing to do that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond. Thanks again for joining us for this message. As I mentioned earlier, we developed a discipleship pathway that helps people know what it means to love.